welcome to Date Night at the Movies. I am Jordan. I'm Jess. Wow. Yes, this is Date Night at the Movies, and Jessica just threw me for a loop. Why? Because normally, I think this is the first time we've ever done it to where it's not, I'm Jess, I'm Jordan. True, but you didn't say, or how I spent my babysitter money. So, basically, I threw us for a loop. It's your fault. Yeah. All right, I'll I'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hi, everyone, and... Tis the season to be jolly, and this week's movie is Elf. Elf. So this is our first uh, throwback episode, because obviously... I El- feel like we've done throwback. That What the Halloween episode was? Well, Hall- that was more of like a compendium. So it, a compendium. It could have been a throwback, but like, you know... I think I I at least consider the throwback ones to be when we do a specific movie. Oh, well. And I'm just going to throw things yeah. on accident. Um, well, we're thrilled to be here with you with you all. And whether you're listening uh, to this during the holiday season or Christmas in July, uh, we're thrilled to have you. So um, this movie has some really fun significance for both of us. Mm-hmm. So I'm very thrilled to be talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, should we let them know what the biggest significance for this movie is? Go for it. So not only is this a movie that we watch every single Christmas. Oh, 100%. But this was actually also our very first date. Yeah. Yeah, when we were just little ones. When this movie came out, I remember seeing some trailers for it. And as I've talked about many times, I wasn't a big moviegoer because uh, during school uh, weekends I'd be um, on horse shows and a lot of times out of town. So um, we decided to go to this movie together because, you know, it looked kind of cool, pretty cute. And I, I, I'm super grateful that it's such a good movie because mm-hmm. uh, I'm really, I get excited to watch it every year. Yeah, this is a movie for us that never gets old. And from what I understand too, like this is actually considered like, a classic Christmas movie at this point. Oh, well, at this point, it's been 15 years. Yeah. Then 2018, 18, mm-hmm. it's been 15 years, which blows my mind. Well, but like, if you think about it though, <clears throat> excuse me, how many, uh, how many Christmas movies from like the year 2000 on, from the new millennium, if we will, like, how many of those of those can you think of that have actually become like bona fide classics and not like something like Arthur Christmas that you and I just both really like and we watch every yeah, year? Yeah, but that's not a classic. Right. And that's what I'm saying is that that's not a classic. But so I think that Elf is the only one that's really made it like to classic level. I could totally see that. And we've ventured out a little bit um, this year. We've uh, Netflixed some um, maybe the Christmas Prince will be just because it's becoming infamous. Well, but like, I I don't know. I think that if it could be done on an episode of How Did This Get Made, then maybe uh, <laughs> it's not quite, uh, maybe it's not quite classic level, you know? Touche. Yeah. Um, so, so, some important housekeeping episode. We have, oh, dog of the podcast is Charlie. Charlie. Um, Which, as you all know, means he's going to get really bored soon. Yes. And, um, hi, buddy. And they both have new dog tags coming in. Yeah. So you'll be able, in the near future, to hear puppy paw prints, but you will not be able to hear the jingle jangle. Right. So we're getting some silicone dog tags. Um, a company that we are, we're, loves, 
we love. Um, we're not sponsored by them. It's Kalo. Um, so we're big, big fans. So we've got Charlie, dog of the podcast. Um, real quick, um, we're actually not going to have a, an episode or a, uh, a break. Yeah, we're just going to go all the way through. And that's probably something that we'll do on the throwbacks because we record them pretty fast. And uh, I like to be able to just do a minimal amount of editing and just move yeah. on. Yeah. So, um, huge thank you to our sponsors. We've got Rock's Jewelry Shop. Um, some of you have messaged us saying, hey, I went to Rock's and got um, like a beautiful necklace for my wife or anything along those lines. Um, but they've got really cool stuff and Rocks is a company that gives back. So if you use the code date night, right Charlie? Date night, um, you get 15% off. Um, also, we have a new sponsor we're so excited to be working with is Venic Eyewear. We, we're gonna get some uh, we're gonna get some pictures out with our new Venic sunglasses. Yes. I, I actually got a compliment from a lady at the drive-thru the other day. Really? Saying, oh my God, your sunglasses are so great. And it wasn't really there was like people were backed up behind me. So I couldn't really be like, oh yeah, well if you go to Venic Eyewear and use code date night, like yeah. I, I couldn't well, really Well we don't know the code yeah. because I was having trouble uh, so Venic Eyewear if you're listening to this, I'm having trouble um, with the site right now, but it will be 15 to 30% off of sunglasses at Venic. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually stay tuned for, to our social media and also future episodes for that link. Um, but they're so cool. Um, oh, yeah. so check them out. V E N I C eyewear, Venic eyewear. Um, so housekeeping drink of the podcast. Yes. What is it? Uh, You'll you have, don't actually know, do you? No, I I know it. I just don't remember the actual title of it. It is a maple tea latte. Yes. Because it's one of the major food groups. And Yes, it is. Uh, we are getting into elf culture here in a second. Yes. Um, I was just saying to Jessica before we started recording that, so a couple of years ago, uh, right after Thanksgiving, she surprised me for my birthday because my birthday is just a couple weeks before Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Uh, she surprised me, and when we were still living in LA full time, uh, we took a weekend trip up to San Francisco. That was magic. It, it was awesome. Basically, we just left our hotel, we picked the direction, and just started walking. I think in one day, I checked I checked the health app on my phone, and we did something like twenty miles or something like that. I believe that. Um, it it was great, but like we happened to cross every tree lighting ceremony in the city as we were it walking. It was nuts yeah. because we were just going place to place and sometimes taking, you know, ride sharing or taking the bus and all of a sudden we were in all these little town squares for the tree lightings and we ended up kind of downtowny San Francisco for the big tree lighting. Mm-hmm. That was, it was so fun. It was great. And there's something about this particular drink that Jessica made that just really reminded me of that. And I don't think we had anything like this while we were there. But it just, like... I mean, we had coffee. There's, oh, there. remember that coffee shop on one of our, I don't remember if it was one of our last days. I know it was towards the end of the trip. And it was a coffee shop. I still have the card upstairs. The coffee was really strong and really good. And they gave you free truffles. That's right. Oh gosh, and it was, it was near, gosh, where was it? Oh, it was just so good. I hope to find it. I have the card, but oh, it was so good. Oh, I love San Francisco. Mm-hmm. If you we, ever work for Skywalker Sound, we'll be like, we can't afford it, but okay. Well, I mean, we'll definitely be living in Oakland. But. Oh, 100%. <laughs> yeah. No, but we'll uh, we'll have to go back there sometime. Yeah. Especially during the holidays. Again, if you, like, I don't think we could ever recreate that. 
No, but well, just, why would we want to? We'd want just a new stumbling across all the different uh, tree lightings is great. And this, I call I called the trip the accidental tree lighting tour of San Francisco. Right. Oh, we have a second dog of the podcast. So we have a Madison right now. We have dual pods of the podcast. So we we just had uh, some friends of ours in town for the weekend. Yeah. And, Hi, Ryan. Hi, Erica. Uh, Ryan, I actually want. Um, he's probably going to be uh, a platonic date night guest. Uh, coming up in the future, Ryan. Love it. Yeah, Ryan and I have been playing in bands uh, since together since we were like fourteen. No, that's uh, right. Um, and you can check out Ryan on his SoundCloud at Ryan Crowley Music. Yeah, his I, I've talked about his album on the show before, uh, Find My Way, which I played on a lot of it. I helped produce a track, and you know, even if I wasn't on there, like he would just be like, he would send me tracks and be like, "Hey, what do you think about this?" And I'd offer suggestions. Sometimes they'd get used, sometimes they wouldn't. But it's a really good album. Yeah, uh, it is super easy to listen to without dumbing things down yeah um so i highly recommend it but yeah they were just in town and uh, they brought their adorable little baby up with them I and know. madison the whole time was just like i want to play with this little creature well she was a very good nana mm-hmm. she was a very good nana she sat by like she didn't even boop him yeah. she just let him be uh, but they, yeah, they are both very tired now yes. because, you know, being a good host takes a lot out of it. Is a, it is a big job, especially when you're babysitting the whole time. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're exhausted. Um, uh, oh, oh, so Elf, mm-hmm. what are we rating this in? Uh, candy canes, I guess. Okay, because I was gonna say swirly twirly gumdrops. Well, okay, so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna we're gonna rate this in bags with the four. Elf food groups. What? So, <laughs> so it's we're gonna rate it out of five bags, and the bags contain the four elf food groups, which are candy, candy, candy canes, candy corns, and syrup. So we're okay. saying we're saying bags, but is it a bag full of the four elf food groups? Okay. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb. Everybody, here we go. Drum roll. I'm gonna give it a five. I'm gonna give it a five too. Why? Here's the thing: is that like with this movie, it's super easy to point out the stuff that like there's some plot points in there that don't really work. Yeah. Like the the whole uh, Central Park Rangers thing at the end always feels like it comes out of left field. Yes, and like the fact that you know James Caan saves Christmas. Yeah. Um, um, but. But in a movie like this, you just don't care. No, it's and it's an insular story. Yeah. Um, well, and what I was surprised about watching it this time, so like. You know, we re- we literally just watched it again, everybody. Yeah. Just so this is a throwback. We have been watching this movie mm-hmm. for 15 years, but um, and if you're listening in the future, however many years it's been out, um, it I never like uh, I was saying when we were watching it this this evening, the little girl when they're singing, you better not pout, you better not cry, and when the little girl who asked for a Susie talks a lot starts yeah. cr- singing, I can't deal. Well, she has just this adorable little raspy voice. Like it sounds like she just finished getting sick or something like that. Ugh. But she has she has. I mean, a, she was just at the doctor, so that makes sense. Yeah, but like she she has such a good delivery and like you know. In, in Christmas movies, especially, it's really easy for the kids to be "quote unquote" adorable to the point where they're annoying. But this little girl is like the perfect adorable Ugh. little girl in a Christmas movie. I'm a human raised by human. Yeah. Oh. Well, can't so deal. what I was saying is that whenever we watched it this time, uh, you know, because like 
you know, I would already been like, okay, Central Park Rangers are going to come up and that's going to be whatever. But I was surprised at how much of, whether they were scripts or improvs, really worked, like, just on a film level. Like, you know, criticizing, criticizing this movie isn't really fair, and it's not a movie that you're supposed to hold up to a lot of scrutiny. I mean, it's not Apocalypse Now, you know? But right, and it's and it's also so I feel like you know the Christmas tale is its own category. Mm-hmm. So we and we like we just watched the Christmas Chronicles. Right, um, that's a Netflix original. That's, that one's actually pretty good. It's really good, y'all. Um, it's really cute. I saw it at the nail salon, and because uh, I got my nails did, I might have to get them like more Christmassy for Christmas. Mm-hmm. I think Mama's gonna treat herself. Um, and I saw it, and I got completely hooked and I was talking to the nail tech and I was just like, I think I have to watch this. And she goes, it is really cute, isn't it? It's the one where Kurt Russell plays Santa Claus. He's a harsh Santa. Yeah. Um, and uh, we were doing a family puzzle. Uh, for those of you who may or may not know, uh, Jordan and I have a, kind of a roommate now. Um, she's a set decorator and she's phenomenal. So we we're doing a family puzzle mm-hmm. and we watched the Christmas Chronicles. It was... It's really cute. And actually, you know what I like about that movie? It's So if you watch it, and no spoilers here, um, they have a very unique way of traveling through time and space mm-hmm. in the movie. And I'm really grateful for it because to me it solves a lot of Santa Claus problems. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to be honest, I, I still kind of believe in, in Santa Claus, everybody. Um, Santa Claus comes every year. So back to Elf. Yeah. Uh, so what I was saying, and eventually I will be able to finish this thought. We keep going round in round circles. I, I mean, we're, this is—it's not quite the Christmas compendium, but I think that this is going to lead to us talking about a lot of different Christmas movies. You I know? think so, and I think that is okay. I, I'm not complaining, um, but there were a lot of things just from like a filmmaking level that really work in this movie. I agree. Uh, one thing that I really like is that they weave this really. This really fine tapestry into making it a believable, livable world. Yeah. So, like, uh, the one that you always catch uh, is like whenever it's uh, the news reporter and she's interviewing people, and then uh, Matt Walsh is one of the guys. Yeah. Not oh, he... not, not the crazy conservative Matt Walsh, but no, the no, no. talented, funny Matt Walsh. Yes, uh, from um, Veep. Yeah. Would Veep. be his and, and we credit. just saw him in Widows. Yes, he was in Widows. Yeah. He was great in Widows, but as far as what he's probably most well known for, it mm-hmm. would probably be Veep, yeah. which we are ginormous fans. It is kind of my dream to stunt double Julia Louis-Dreyfus, <laughs> and my Elaine dance is on point. Just don't do that in front of her, because I'm sure that everybody is like, you know, oh, Julia, look what I do, and she's probably just like, yeah, great. No, no, I, I save it for a select few. Yeah, but, um, but like whenever he... She's interviewing him, and he's like talk. He talks about what's going on, and he stops, and he like tries to hit on her. Then he talks about what's going on, and he kind of hits on her again. I mean, your eyes tell the story. Yeah, that's what I love about you. Um, <laughs> but but there are a lot of other moments in there, just like little subtle things that happen. And there were a few that I had made a mental note of, and I can't think of them now. But like even just like Michael, his uh, Will Ferrell's younger brother, her mm-hmm. buddy's younger brother, he comes out of the. He comes out of school talking with his friends. He's like, I got every weapon in the game. I'm on full health. And then, like, I know when this movie came out, it's like, oh, he was probably playing Grand Theft Auto 3, you know? Uh, that makes sense. And, um, but, like, 
just little little moments like that, and then the uh, the Christmas manager at Gimbal's, you know, oh. afraid that people are about are out for his job, and then those like high water pants that yeah. he's in. code word Santa's got to yeah. put a new bit. And then whenever you first see Amy Sedaris, and she's on the phone, and she's like, "I've never declawed kittens before. There are nine of them. Just bring them by the trailer. No, I'm not going to charge you." And like. It has nothing to do with the plot of the movie, but that's something that Jessica and I have been talking about a lot, like as we've been kind of putting some of our own projects together, is that one thing that a lot of screenwriters, uh, I can't say a lot of screenwriters, but it's not an uncommon thing to find, that a screenwriter doesn't add moments like that into the movie just because it doesn't advance the plot, and it it doesn't directly serve the plot. And of course you want to keep things tight, but at the same time, that's what helps it feel like a real world thing. And this this movie is just full of stuff like that, and I just love it. I do too. And so this, as if, for those of you who've been listening, we... We often attribute the success of a movie. I mean, every performer in this, like you watch Will Ferrell's eyes and they glitter. Yeah. Like everyone in this movie believes who they are and commit fully. They're brilliant. Like there's not a weak link in this whole film. No. And, um, and one, so, um, I just lost an acting teacher this week, mm-hmm. Don Ilko. And we've all been posting on social media some of our favorite Don Ilko stories. Uh, Rest in Priest, Don Ilko, theater school at DePaul University. And um, Falashe Pearson, who I went to school with, she's an actress here in Atlanta. And she was having a hard time with a role. And Don, uh, it was like a little role, she only had a couple lines and... You know, when you're when you're required to do plays and you have like a nothing role, it feels crappy. And Don told her, "Well, your character doesn't think they're small." And so it takes that thinking of there's no small there's no no small characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this film, I think it really exemplifies it. There's not a small part because everybody just commits so fully that it's such a joy. Yeah, to watch and then to go even more on top of that, the writer and director. So the writer for this is, um, David Berenbaum mm-hmm. and directed by John Favreau. Yeah. Um, and John Berenbaum, I mean, he's really known for elf. Um, some additional things that he's known for is strange music, the spider chronicles, zoom, dark arc. Um, I think he's up for the new bugs bunny movie. Interesting. Um, and then John Favreau, I mean, if I mean he directed Iron Man, you can see him in Friends. Like John Favreau, there is in everything. There is a guy who has put in the elbow grease to his own career and done it in a way where, like, it's almost like he was one of those guys who's like, "Yeah, I'll try this," and he does it, and then just finds out he's really good at it, and then he's like, "Oh yeah, I'll try this," and then does it and finds out that he's really good at it. You know, he's, he's insanely stellar. Yeah, he's so so stellar. Oh, he directed The Lion King. Yeah, he's directing the new Lion King that's coming out. Um, it's in post right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, directed Avengers Endgame. Um, no, he didn't direct Avengers Endgame. Oh, he was a producer. Yeah, Might be. yeah, he's he's been uh, executive producer on pretty much all, all the Marvel them. movies because you know he was the one who basically kicked it off with Iron Man. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, and Iron Man. Oh, here we go, just talking about superhero <laughs> movies. But Iron Man never gets old. No, the first Iron Man is great. It is 
Great. Uh, honestly, like I'm not. I don't just love Iron Man two, but honestly, all three Iron Man movies are actually really solid. Well, because you know, like you know, an Iron Man movie, you know that feel. Mm-hmm. Um, ugh, so good. So that all being said, I mean, we've got these really incredible players that this movie just. Yeah, we can talk about plot holes. Sure, we can talk about, well, that doesn't quite make sense. But Mm -hmm. it, like you said, it creates a world. It really lives in it. Like, everyone is really real. Um, And you asked a question, Jordan, where you were wondering whether or not there was, what was improved and what was not. Mm -hmm. Like, I wonder if Amy Sedaris improved that... to Claude, never to Claude kittens before. Yeah. Um, and I think whether that was or not, I have no earthly idea. Um, yeah, it's, it's hard to find a lot of just like trivia on this movie. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, like there, you know, before we do these episodes, and I've said it before, I always IMDb trivia it. And a lot of the trivia, it's not like, there are a few things I want to talk about that I think are kind of cool and interesting. But, like, for the most part, like, you're not finding out, like, you know, the dirty details on this. And then the Wikipedia for this thing is just anemic. Like, it doesn't even have, you know, it doesn't even have, like, a 9-11 truther in there, like, trying to put their own spin on things. Right, you guys, know? It's, it's a five out of five bag of yeah. candy canes movie. I yeah. mean, it just, it just is. Um, and, uh, oh, God, where, where are we... Uh, I feel like we could be like, and thank you, that is this week's episode. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, and, you know, this is our first throwback episode. I don't know if this is going to be a normal length episode or not, just because, you know, this is one that we've seen. We say that, and every time we ended up going an hour, an hour and a half. Right, but, like, this is one that, like, we've seen so many times, so it's not like we have, like, a fresh hot take on it. Uh, We're just kind of talking about how much we love this movie. There are a few throwbacks that we're going to be doing here pretty soon of movies that we've... uh, that we hadn't seen as much. Um, so those will be a little fresher. But like this one is just like, yes, it's a good movie. Go see it. This, 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 this. Yes, it's a good movie. Go see it. You well, know? you know, so one thing I would love to talk about, because I've never talked about it with you in this movie, mm-hmm. is the music. Yeah. And the sound design, because I think the sound design in this mm-hmm. is insanely brilliant. Like even him swallowing the cotton balls. Yeah. But I would love to talk to you about those things. Um, because, yeah, it's a bunch of... Christmas movies and it's a soundtracky film, um, but um, like the big fight with Santa Claus, mm-hmm. you know, to talk just talking about the music for it. Yeah, so I mean, of course, the song placement is great, and uh, every time they do uh, the Louis Prima "Pennies from Heaven," it makes me want to go make macaroni. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I don't th- know if you ever knew this, but uh, there was. When I used to manage the music stop in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, mm-hmm. one of the teachers there was a guy named Lou Primavera. Um, okay. He was, a, he was the jazz guitar teacher. Uh, he's since passed on, unfortunately. But uh, his uncle was, was Louis Prima. Oh, get out of here. Yeah. And you know what Louis Prima was like really famous for, at least for people in our generation? Uh-uh. Ooh, you. I want to be like you. Nuh-uh. Yeah, that was him. That's insane. Yeah. What? Yeah. That's cool. So my my tangential uh, my tangential connection to this movie. I love it. Um, but uh, no, like the song placement is the song placement is really good. Um, even though "Baby It's Cold Outside," like that that is the current thing to talk about this Christmas season. 
yeah. uh, because, like, guys, we've always known that this hasn't aged well. I mean, back in 2003, when we grew up in, you know, the buckle of the Bible Belt, even Jessica and I were both just like, yeah, that song's kind of creepy, isn't it? <laughs> uh, so it's not, a, it's not a new thing. What I like about the way they do it in this movie, first of all, I mean, Zoe Deschanel's just a fantastic singer. Oh, she is... It's like honey. Yeah. Oh, yes. Um, interesting. You know, in the script, she wasn't supposed to sing, but John Favreau found out that she was a singer and decided to write it in there. Oh, I love that. Um, but like that scene, even though it's about as creepy as you can get with a song that's as creepy as that, because you know Will Ferrell or Buddy the Elf is in the ladies' locker room while she's showering, and he's just like stand, sitting outside singing the song along with her. Uh, but like it's played so innocently and it's just like, oh, I just yeah. want to sing a song, you know? It's so, so, so sweet. I give that song a pass in this movie. Um, because they, they made it so sweet. Yeah. They, it just, and it was so innocent. I mean, and I love that moment when she sticks her head of the shower curtain. She's like, get out. <laughs> and he runs into the locker. <laughs> it's, it's so good. And, and her eyes are just so, they're, they're like, watching a deer yeah. so it was oh I love it um, as far as the score itself I really like the score to this movie um, yeah. I think I think it is a perfect unique Christmas movie score yeah it's, um, uh, John Debney mm-hmm. I, I'm not I'm hit or miss with John Debney oh yeah yeah like like I'm looking at his IMDb right now. I mean, he's done a lot. He did uh, Hocus Pocus. A lot, which yeah. I'm a huge fan. Uh, he did Hocus Pocus. I believe he did Passion of the Christ, which he got nominated for an Oscar for. I think so. Uh, is, is that him? He did um, Greatest Showman. Uh-huh. Um, some Which we just saw. Yeah. Um, well, uh, he did He did the composition for it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He. I mean, he works with John Favreau a lot. Yeah, he did Passion of the Christ. He did Iron Man 2. He did the live-action Jungle Book. Um, let's see. He, I mean, he does a lot of good... A uh, lot of... Oh, he did uh, Jobs. Yeah. The Steve... Um, well, no, no, he did the Ashton Kutcher one. Yes. Yeah. Um, like, And he does a lot of, like, comedies and animation. He does, like, some of the Ice Age movies. Um, oh, he did Texas Rising. Um. Yeah, I mean, wow. I mean, he he's done a lot of feel good stuff. Yeah, he's a very accomplished composer, and I think he's very good. It's just I don't always love the music uh, that he writes sometimes. Yeah, but I think that he wrote a perfect score for this movie. Yeah. Uh, you know, the melodies are very Christmassy. They're very like you know bouncy and quirky. And yeah. then every so often he drops out the orchestra and just has like an accordion play, which I think is a great little touch. Yeah, uh, it's kind of like when we were talking about uh, when we were talking about uh, in Fantastic Beasts how I kind of wanted that to feel a little more like um, the Shape of Water, the music. Yeah. Uh, this has a lot of that. Like, like it has kind of a French feel without you actually without it being like. French at all. Like, I don't think there's even a French person in this movie. Mm-mm. But, but it's, it's very upbeat. Mm-hmm. And the transitions... Like, there's not... There's no lulls in this movie. And mm-hmm. you don't feel exhausted by it. Like, it's not like an action movie that never lets up. It's not like watching Mad Max in Christmas... Like, in Christmas, ver- Christmas version. Yeah. Um, but there, you never feel bored or you never wander um well and he lets and it helps he helps moments breathe like whenever um uh, james con notices buddy sleeping in the window Mm -hmm. that he it creates some suspense but it still keeps it light and funny yeah which i really appreciate and like 
you know, he didn't he didn't score the scene where he asked Jovi out, which I thought was a really good whether that was his instinct or John Favreau's instinct, they just let that be music or musicless. Yeah. So that way it's just Will Ferrell being like, you know, the code. Um, so cute. And, but like what he did do, which wouldn't have been my initial thought. Of course, I don't. I have a harder time with comedies than almost every other any other genre. Mm-hmm. Um, which is unfortunate because you have an easier time with comedies. So I love. I love. A, I love a comedy. You make good comedies. Um, but uh, he scored the scene, the first dinner scene, and you know he let that be a little quirky, and uh, yeah, it it helped it flow in a very interesting way. Which is, you know, I would have thought, oh, just let that be what it's going to be, and then bring music in during the punchlines. But you know, he kept it flowing with a really good. Well, and it there. needed it because yeah. it was an awkward dinner, mm-hmm. and we didn't need to feel awkward too. We needed to laugh at how awkward it was, and they helped guide you through that. Right. And what I really like that he did in there, too, is, uh, like, moments, you know, like, where he downs the Coca-Cola, yeah. and where he jumps onto the Christmas tree and it falls <laughs> down. Like, those moments, he yeah. kind of Looney Tunes them a little bit. And I just think it works great. I think that he did a perfect Christmas movie score yeah. for this movie. I love what I appreciate about this movie overall, um, you saying that, is... It is a Christmas movie, but it it's something that it feels it's also just a good movie. Yeah. Um, I've watched this in the middle of the year just because I needed to feel happy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm a huge I'm just a huge fan of this of this film, and I love. Um, I can always hear it. The da 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 da. There's mm-hmm. like a lots of. Uh And there's lots of very classic things that I recognize from film, but it's very, I I can always hear this movie and I, I think it's, I think it's amazing. Yeah. I, I can't say enough good things about the score for this movie. Yeah. Um, gosh, I just love how I, I think the story's really sweet and and if, if you think about it too hard, you're like, wait, how would they know about Susan Wells from the adoption agency? Or how would Buddy know all of that? Or and, or how Papa Elf would know all that? And, um, and I was thinking about that when we were watching it this time. And I couldn't figure out how to be critical of it. Does that make sense? Well, I mean, the thing, I think the thing with a Christmas movie especially is that We've already accepted into the reality of our imagination that there is a being that watches you when you're sleeping and knows when you're awake and keeps a naughty and nice list. Mm-hmm. So to me, I'm just like, oh, of course Santa figured out what the history was there. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. So like, that's why it's it's hard it's hard to be critical about this movie because you know, in in the best possible way, they whatever devised it, you know. <laughs> Right. Well, and it really works for this. Sometimes you, it's like, ugh, like that really doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a Hallmark movie that I have seen way too many times. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I know. Uh, but I really watched it. I probably watched it three times uh, when my mom was had her emergency surgery a few years ago. And I was by myself. Um, and in it, she was in surgery and out of surgery. And it was a whole mess. And it was Christmas time. And I, there's this, and I can't remember the name of it, but it's a Hallmark movie about a woman who is the daughter of Santa Claus and she's bringing 
and uh, who's going to be her fiance by the end of the movie. Spoilers. Um, and she goes, he's going to go meet the family, but she hasn't told him who she is, which is a clause. Mm-hmm. And she's, I think, going like to be a veterinarian as opposed to be going in the family business or something like that. But even a, a movie like that, you kind of go, whatever rules you set up, I'm just going to play by those rules. I'm just going to let it be. Um, and when it's not overly sappy or whatever, it still works to me. Right. <clears throat> so, yeah. Did you want to... Uh, did you want, Was there something specific you want to talk about in the sound design? Because you'd mentioned that in music. I just think it's so brilliant. Mm-hmm. Was there anything in particular that you were like, oh, this? I just felt like it was cartoony without, mm-hmm. with still be, being rooted in realism. Yeah. Especially like the things that Buddy did. It was very, very heightened. Um, and I even loved the voice, um, the voice editing um, towards the end when he's reading the book Elf to the kids. And uh-huh. you hear, ooh, ah. Those weren't those kids. It was yeah. in post. Um I just the they heighten the crunch of the snow and they um the explosion of the engine. It was just it was what we I felt like the sound design in this is what we were yearning for in the Grinch. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that these are very interesting compare and contrast mm-hmm. with the Grinch in this movie because this is how a movie that is kind of designed for kids but meant for everybody. Yeah. And a Christmas movie. Yeah. It hits all the points that the Grinch, that the Grinch missed, you know? Yeah. I uh, can yeah, I and this movie is just full of whimsy and magic. But it's not like saccharine, you know? No. Like like it's you well, know because it, people are on indeed on the naughty list. Yeah. It, if uh what am I trying to say? If a, if a movie, especially a Christmas movie, because I think with a Christmas movie, you have to walk such a fine line because otherwise yeah. it's just going to be unbearable to watch. If it's like so sappy and it's like, you know, like the Hallmark Christmas movies, you know, a family for Christmas, a puppy for Christmas. And it's like, great. I'm well, when watch it's this overly sappy half. too, it's not rooted in realism. Right. And you just kind of feel gross watching it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean... You know, to introduce this in a conversation about Christmas movies, you know, to to me, it's almost a form of pornography, you know? I suppose. Because it's about, it's something that is manipulating, manipulating you in a very unintelligent way to to get you to respond a certain way. Kind of like whenever people share, Mm. like, emotion porn on Facebook, just because they want, they want to, like, get the feeling that somebody else had. Yeah, and I can see that, and I think, but also too, in our modern world, we are um, we are truly seeking more and more connection. Um, you know, I I find more and more of my meetings are not in person. I find more and more I'm not. You don't get to connect with people as much, so I feel like the internet is full of that because we're desperately trying to connect. But that kind of desperation doesn't work for film doesn't right. work for movies because we are invested in sitting there but if you don't root it in something we can connect to it's like why i hate 
The Hateful Eight. Mm-hmm. I hate that movie because I couldn't wait. Spoiler, which at this point, if you haven't seen it, um, I couldn't wait till they were all dead. Yeah. And I didn't even want to stay for it because I didn't care. And if something's overly sweet, it doesn't feel real. You can't wait till they're all dead. You can't wait till they're all dead. <laughs> um, and, you know, and everyone here, you know, in this film, people are sarcastic. People have to change. People don't trust Buddy. They don't believe him. Mm-hmm. They, you know, Buddy is this ideal of pureness. But even Papa Elf, you know, well, I, you know. There was an elf that was overly committed to his career and always mm-hmm. wanted children and didn't have them. You know, the only person that's kind of not flawed is Buddy. Yeah. And he's there I mean, to help. I mean, even Santa's kind of gruff in this movie, too. Yeah, I love I, this Santa. Well, he's I, not as gruff as uh, Kurt Russell. Oh, no. <laughs> and but the like, Christmas kind of like I, I always have to ask myself when I watch this movie, like, is this Santa actually, like, really manipulative? A little bit. Yeah. But I think... Um, there's a moment in Central Park when Michael, um, what's James Conn's actual character's name? Uh, Walter. Thank you. So Michael and Walter go to the, go to Central Park to help Santa and Santa asks Michael, he goes, Hey Michael, can you lift that hatch for me? And I've always been like, why didn't Santa lift the hatch? Mm -hmm. And the whole point is to involve Michael. And I think Santa Claus knows the... All of us are so terrified of being wanted and wanting to be invited. And it seems so selfish to ask or to be present. But Santa Claus knows that we want those things. Mm -hmm. Santa Claus knows that, in theory, right, he knows our, our wishes. And so I think in a way he is manipulative, but also Santa knows our hearts. Well, I I kind of look at this Santa very similarly to the Michael Gambon Dumbledore. Yeah. Because they both have a very similar energy. And, you know, we talked about this in Fantastic Beasts is that, you know, Dumbledore himself is actually quite manipulative, but that doesn't make him a bad guy, you know? Right. Um, well, Dumbledore, that's a different discussion because Dumbledore, like when you talk Aberforth, like what Aberforth says to Harry and whatnot, Dumbledore, man, whew, that is a that's a hole, right? But Santa Claus is, I think, less manipulative than Dumbledore. right. But like, also, like where I I ask about the manipulation part is that he's constantly like, it's almost like he's telling Buddy what he want what he thinks Buddy wants to hear, so that way he, Buddy will do something for him. Yeah. Uh, and to me, I'm just like, is Santa actually genuine? And I think that he actually has a genuine affection for Buddy. Oh, but I do too. I, th- I think he's also knows like, oh, this is this is what I need to say to get him to be useful for me. I agree with you, but I think he also, when he goes, go on, Mr. Elf, uh-huh. I think he believes that too. Yeah. Um, but he does, I mean, he needs Buddy to fix the engine and Buddy knows how to do that. Papa Elf taught him. Mm-hmm. No, that that's just something I always think about in this movie. It's not it's not anything where I'm just like, wow, they made Santa the bad guy. But like, that's not what I'm saying. Well, that's the Central Park Rangers. That's right. Yeah, let's just not spend too much time talking about the Central Park Rangers. No, it doesn't make any sense. There's random horses, um, and they're just there, and then they're gone, and there's no build up to it. It's almost like a sight gag that they keep using, and you're like, why? Right. It, it, I do like when she goes they. Um, 
since they broke up, they're like crowd control measures in the Simon and Garfunkel concert. Yeah. I think that's hilarious because mm-hmm. of all concerts that probably did not get out of hand was Simon and Garfunkel. So I do really, really The only thing really more dangerous is just a solo Garfunkel show. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so I, I get it and they needed something to make it heighten like not only because in that moment that that was a third act rewrite there and like I I don't know that actually was there but to me to me it reeks of like oh we need to do something in the third act here uh well let's hire this writer to write us out of the corner well well I think it is a third act rewrite um which we don't know for sure but in that moment Christmas is in peril right so just like in the Christmas Chronicles Uh just because we just watched that everybody so sorry um we're very aware that if we don't get the sleigh running and get all the reindeer back, Christmas is ruined, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone who celebrates Christmas isn't going to get presents. That isn't quite communicated, so they needed something that made you think, oh my gosh, and get your heart pounding. And mm-hmm. I think that the sound of the horse, like the, the horse steps, the sound of the whinnies, and the, that, that they themselves are very intense, which help heighten the moment which it needed. Mm-hmm. So I do get where it's coming from, but if again, if you intellectualize it too much, you're just like, I don't know. Yeah, There's I, dudes it, on horses that are mad. I, I don't know. I get. It. I totally get the purpose that the entire that entire plot point serves. I just don't think that it was executed very well. That's totally fair. Um. So what's interesting though is so this came out in 2003, right? Yes. You know, what was the biggest movie that came out in 2003? I have no idea. Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. Was that 2003? Yep. Wow. So, uh, what's interesting is that they pretty much shot the Central Park Rangers like Nazgul from Fellowship. Okay. Uh, And then there's also a lot of parallels with the at least how they made the movie with the Lord of the Rings movies because like the whole first like third of the movie, the first act, uh, which takes place in the North Pole. Uh, there's not a, just a ton of CGI in there. A lot of that is like forced perspective stuff. Yeah, I mean the Naz. I mean the Nazgul. Uh huh. I mean from Fellowship. Um, that's one of the reasons I'm a stunt performer. So yeah, but so like they did that a lot with the first Lord of the Rings. So I'm just. It's interesting because I'm drawing a parallel. I'm drawing a parallel just because I find it interesting that it came out around the same time. There was obviously a lot of influence on the, from the best possible ways from like fellowship with this movie. Totally. Um, and I love the production design of this movie. Uh, you know, I love the fact that it's forced perspective. I love the fact that there like there's a lot of practical stuff going on, mm-hmm. and then like. You know, it's like, yeah, the North Pole does look like it's on a soundstage, but it fits perfectly, especially when they have, like, the Rankin-Bass characters in there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, by the way, the voice of Mr. Narwhal was John Favreau. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Hi, buddy. I'm your dad. <laughs> um, but, like, yeah, I just love the production design in that, how everything feels tangible, and because it is such a heightened reality, it's okay that it doesn't always feel realistic, and it just fits everything perfectly, so... Production design in this movie, I think, is just great. I agree. And it just, it sticks with its own rules. Mm -hmm. And that is, to me, a sign of a well-realized movie. Whether you can find plot holes or whatever hole you're looking for in a film. But a well-realized movie that plays by its own rules, 
a hundred percent. That's why this, that's why this is so classic and it's a feel good movie that has a moral tale to it. And, and you get the magic of Santa Claus, right? Yeah. We get some miracle on 34th street. We get, it's a wonderful life. We get all these things from watching human beings change by someone who embodies the spirit of Christmas all year round. Um, and that's, I know that's something that we, I found it. <laughs> so apparently Jessica's voice sounds similar to mine, or at least Siri thinks so, because Interesting. Yeah. Well, I'm in a low register today. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like we talk about keeping the spirit of Christmas alive all year round, and Buddy the Elf does that. Mm-hmm. The rest of us really need the lights and the tree and and whatever this time of year is. Yeah. So, I lo- I love I love that there's this being that he gets into the real world and still. Is the spirit of Christmas all year round. Absolutely. I love it. Well, let's talk about some of the characters. And sure. we'll save Buddy for last, okay. just because that's going to be the biggest one. Okay. Um, what do you feel about James Caan in general in this movie? I think he's great. Yeah, I think... I mean, it's kind of one note. Yeah, I think that he... I, I don't think he is the strongest performer in this movie. It's also distracting how, like... You know, because I think Walter was written to be like, you know, in his late 40s, early 50s. And James Caan is very apparently in his 70s. Yeah. Um, so that was a little on the distracting side to me. Yeah. Um, but like, but I got everything. Like, I'm not, I'm not sitting over here going, God, I wish there was more emotion when he saw Susan's picture. Yeah. But at that point, it had been a really long time. Like, mm-hmm. and his life had completely changed. I can see it totally where you're coming from, but uh-huh. I just thought he was right, and I wonder if he... To me, it was like one note until he changed. Uh-huh. Um, but on the flip side, it's a very short moment in time that this movie all takes place in. Yeah. And he's really busy. His job is at stake. This crazy dude shows up at his house. He's got his wife and he's and his son, and he's never around, and... So I, I, I mean, I, I really like his character and I think he plays it really well. I do realize, and um, Aaron Gibson talks about this in her book, Feminasty, is, okay, and like Mary Steenburgen could like date anybody she wanted to in the world because she's like totally hot and totally amazing and it sucks that it had to be somebody in his 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I still like. I still totally buy him, and I totally like who he is, and I like, I, like he has really good moments, like when he opens Buddy's gift of the lingerie and <laughs> yeah. like his face. I, that is, is a great moment where like where Amy Sedaris comes and what do you got there? And he just drops. He is like intercom. It's <laughs> <laughs> great. I think ideally, who I would have liked to seen in that role is like in his prime Chevy Chase. You know? No, I disagree. Yeah. Chevy Chase would have made it physically, the phys, so the the rut of comedy comes from Will Ferrell. Chevy Chase can't play straight to save his life. That's true. I, I guess mostly like so basically what I'm what I'm saying is that with that particular character, and again I'm not I'm not downing James Caan in this movie at all because I think he's a great actor and I think he does. I mean. I, We've lived at this movie for 15 years, and that's who you think of Buddy's dad as, you know? Uh But I would have liked to 
had somebody who had more of a reaction in certain moments. Like, uh, like whenever he bails him out of the, pol- the police station and he shoves him up against the wall, you know, of course he gets really Sonny Corleone there. Yeah. Uh, and then, but he's just like, no, I just want, I don't want money. I just wanted to meet you. And his response was, I wouldn't want to meet you. And then just like walks away. No, but it totally works. Cause he's trying not to be mean. Yeah. But, but like, I, I think, I think that could have used, again, like you said, it's kind of one note and I would have liked to have had a little bit of dynamic yeah. in, in the moment like that. And also whenever he's talking about. You know, he does this a little more when he's talking about, you know, how it's a felony that they chop down the tree. Yeah. But like, you know, I, I, to me, to me, I would have just liked a little more dynamic range in his, in the performance. I can totally see that. And, you know, and I, I'm the one who said he was kind of one note, but on the flip side, if it had been more than that between Buddy and then a super emotionally heightened Walter uh-huh. would have been exhausting. That's true. Um, okay, Mary Steenburgen. Oh, isn't she fabulous? She's just awesome in everything. The one thing I will say, though, I've never understood it, and I hope if I'm ever faced with this in my life that I can respond like her when Walter is telling Emily about that she he has another son, how excited she is about that. Uh-huh. I have always been like, that's incredible that reaction. I that like that woman is well, incredible. Well, and that's another that's an interesting thing that they put in this movie and again it's just layers because like that's not a plot point. I can tell that probably in an earlier draft because this thing went through a few different rewrites. Uh-huh. Um is that so whenever he whenever he's like, you know, really freaked out about him being his son, he's like, "What do you want? Money?" It's almost like he's scared of like it's almost like he's scared of admitting that he has another son and he's like trying to hide that from his family. Like, yeah. like, like buddy's going to make me lose my family, that type of thing. Yeah. So, so like that was kind of a, an, a weird disconnect there. Uh, because she, like, you know, the movie illustrates obviously her as like, Oh, he really doesn't deserve her. Does no, he? No, yeah. no, no. Um, I love her moment with her off key singing. I do too. Yeah. I love it. And I love how, um, she like it's like she's really trying, and I I love that moment too. And, and she does this thing with her eyes too. Uh, when she's singing, is like she kind of rolls them a little bit. Like she's like, I know this is bad, but I'm gonna keep doing it. You I know? love it. And then, I love it. And then Michael comes in to help her finish it out. Like I I think it's great. Yeah, I know? do too. I just think she just imbues grace. Yeah. Um, and I I mean she's like that in so many roles, and I yeah. you know she's very typecast. And just about everything she does, but she's fabulous. Yeah, no, I, th- I think, I think she's great. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think she has a really good chemistry with Will Ferrell whenever she works with him too. Yes, because and like, she's a good mom, and she's treating mm-hmm. him like he's very young. Yeah, which well, is really interesting to me. Yeah, like she gets it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so no, I, I love her in it. Um, I don't recognize the kid who played Michael from anything else. I actually was just looking him up. It's uh, Daniel Tay. Uh huh. Who has grown up a great deal. Does he have like prison tattoos and stuff now? No. <laughs> um, let's see. Oh, he was... He did some sound in 2009 on Grand Theft Auto. Which is interesting. Yeah. Um, he was the voice of voice in Dougal. He was... Um, in the movie Beer League and Brooklyn Rules in 06 and 07. 
series almost 30 now. Yeah, he doesn't seem to be... He hasn't really worked in almost a decade, it seems. Yeah. Or at least not IMDb work. Right. Um, yeah, he might be just, like, living his life. Yeah, well, good for him. But I thought he was good in this movie. I thought he and Will Ferrell had a good chemistry together. Yes, uh, and I liked how just... He didn't want Buddy around at first. And yeah. it was super embarrassing. But um, I like the age that he they put Michael uh-huh. in this movie, which makes him more forgiving and yeah. more ready to play. Yeah. And I like that. I like that they didn't make it a weird 13-year or probably 15-year-old who would have taken longer. Yeah. They just let James... They let James Kahn, they let Walter be the person who really has to turn. Yeah. That everyone else gets Buddy. Well, what I like what they did with Michael, too, because, like, you know, he starts off, like, really embarrassed and yells at him, leave me alone, all that stuff. And then they have the snowball fight together. And then after that, it's just like, yeah, let's go hang out. This was fun. Yes. And then immediately, whenever they go into Gimbal's, he's, like, giving him advice on, like, how to ask Jovi out. So, like, I like how they were they were almost like, oh, no, this actually is a really good kid. He just had to, he had to figure this new thing out, you know? Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, well, then that leads us to uh, Jovi, then. Yes. Uh, I, I love this character. Was this kind of Zoe Deschanel's breakout role? Ish. She'd already done... Like, well, I mean, she, she comes from a movie yeah, her, family. Her mom, Mary Jo Deschanel, is an actress. Uh, most people know her as uh, Donna Hayward's mom from Twin Peaks. Yep, and her father is a cinematographer. Yeah, Caleb Deschanel is a fantastic cinematographer. Yeah. Um, he... Yeah, he's just, he's just great. And he's also a good director. He directed some Twin Peaks as well. Um, but yeah, he, like, he... I, he and Walter Murch came up at the same time together, so they worked on a lot of the same projects. Uh, so, like Walter Murch is a very famous sound designer and editor, and uh, they went. He went to school with Walter Murch. Uh, I think maybe they both went to AFI. I can't remember, but like I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, but they were from that generation. And Caleb Deschanel's just—he's one of my favorite cinematographers. Um, but yeah, so Zoe, I think I always like her and stuff. Um, I. I really, I mean, her, I, I'm excited for her next chapter. Yeah. Um, like, we loved early seasons of New Girl. Um, yeah, we, we, we were in that show for about three seasons, I think. Yeah. Um, but to me, this is one, to me, this is one of my favorite roles she's ever done. Well, I don't like 500 Days of Summer. I don't either. I don't um, like that movie at all. I would be willing, willing to rewatch that one knowing how, knowing what the movie is actually about. Because, you know, from a cursory watch of 500 Days of Summer, you're supposed to think of Joseph Gordon-Levitt as the protagonist, and really he's the antagonist of the whole movie. Yes. Uh, so I'd, I'd want to rewatch it with that in mind sometime. But anyway. Uh, um, pause real fast. Uh-huh. Because Zoe Deschanel is still in the public eye. Looking at Daniel Tay. Uh-huh. Um, he's a graduate from Yale University. Um, he... Um, it's interesting. So he's stopped acting and he has like no social media presence. I'm super jealous of that. That sounds awesome to me. Um, and he's currently working as an SAT instructor. Oh, that's cool. Which seems really hard to me. Um, and then I, I don't have a year on this article. This is a Hello Magazine article. I'm, I can't find a year. 
2017. All right. So um, that's Daniel Tay. Back to Zoe, De- Zoe Deschanel. Right. Well, good for Daniel Tay. Agreed. Um, but yeah, uh, I like Zoe Deschanel a lot. I liked her. The first place I ever saw her was in Almost Famous. Um, oh, I totally forgot she was in that. Yeah, she's the older sister. Um, <clears throat> I like her in this movie how she starts off like kind of grumpy and grinchy. And mm-hmm. you see her, you see that thaw a little bit. And like, you know, and you totally get why, because she's like, I'm just trying to make it through the holidays. And then she mentions later on, well, they shut my water off. So like, you know, she's and, struggling. And- yeah. Well, and that's another thing where like they layer something like that in there to make it feel like a tangible, livable world without making that a big deal. Like it's not a plot point. How are they going to, how is Jovi going to make her rent this month? It's just that something. She had her water shut off. She's eating ramen noodles. Uh, and then well, she- and she's one, you know, we have to remember too, the holidays are very difficult. Oh, yeah. For a lot of people. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's also not fair to be like, the Christmas spirit will help you get out of your depression. So if you are listening to this and feel that way, please know that that is not fair. Right. Um, but I do, you know, I like that someone positive and loving helps bring her out of her uh, Scrooge yeah person well and like and she gets really into the season there you know buddy brings it out like one of my favorite moments in the movie with the two of them is where he shows her the christmas tree uh in the storefront and then she takes him to rockefeller uh rockefeller center which is what i wanted to do when we were going to go to new york yeah that's the whole reason i wanted to go to new york was take you to rockefeller at christmas Um, but no, I, I thought that was great again i i love her singing in the movie because her voice is silk it is. Um, and yeah, I, she and Will, again, she and Will Ferrell have really good chemistry. Everybody has great chemistry with each other in this movie. I totally agree. Um, I like the fact that she, that what gets her to Central Park is she sees Michael on TV and she goes down there to make sure that he's okay. Yeah. You know? Uh, again, it's just like, oh yeah, these are good people who just are struggling sometimes, you know? Yeah, I agree. And, uh, yeah, and I and I like, you know, I like that she's also incorporated into the family. Like this is a family that their family dynamic changes overnight, mm-hmm. and it's how with with a lot of love and open heart how that can happen to a family. Yeah, um, I, I love her and James Con at the piano at the end of the oh, movie. Oh, I do too. Yeah, I do too. I love watching how he plays, mm-hmm. and I love that. Um, so I guess we're to the big one now, Will Ferrell. Ugh. So he, Isn't he just the best? He is perfect in this movie. Ugh. So for people my age at least, uh, you go through a phase where you watch every single thing that Will Ferrell does because that's the height of comedy for you. 100%. And then you get a little older and you kind of back off of it a little bit. And then you get a little older, and then you revisit again. You're like, oh yeah, he's always funny. I just watched way too much of it at once. Oh, but uh, So I was teaching at the University of Central Arkansas this year, and every night I went back with um, my friend who I was teaching with, Dan- uh, David Starrett, and we, wa- we would watch terrible movies. So uh-huh. like National Treasure was on, and we, s- we watched it. And then that's a movie that you can watch from start to finish, though. Oh, <laughs> sure. Um, but then I, I'll defend that movie. <laughs> and then, um, well, what's the racing movie? Fast and Furious. No, no, oh heavens, no, the Will Ferrell. 
Oh, uh, Talladega Nights. So Talladega Nights was on, like literally every single night was a hysterically weird mm-hmm. movie and we would sit and watch it every night. Um, and Talladega Nights came on and I just forgot how great it is. Oh yeah. I it, forgot how great it is. Him stripping off his clothes on the racetrack because he thinks he's on fire. Uh, it. Well, when uh, and when he you know calls Will Ferrell at night and he's like, "Your house makes weird noises. I'm scared at night." He's like, "You stole my life. You stole everything. Don't you call me?" And he's like, "I'm talking tomorrow." Like, yeah, it's really classic comedy. And yes, we all watched it way too many times. Yeah, but it, it was a problem with us, not with Will Ferrell. Exactly. And going back to it, it's just like, oh no, it's perfection. Um, no, like I think his most recent episode on Saturday Night Live is probably one of the most rewatched episodes in our house. Oh. My goodness. Um, but what when you I, die, you're dead. <laughs> yeah. What I love about him in this movie, though, is that it shows, like, because a lot of times, whenever you think of, like, a Will Ferrell movie like Anchorman, a lot of the humor comes from it being absurd and random and sometimes dirty. Right. And, you know, I, like, you know me, I I love swearing. And I, <laughs> I like dirty humor sometimes. But, um... What it, this one shows is how naturally funny, charismatic, and magnetic, and really, really funny Will Ferrell is, even in the confines of basically a children's movie. Oh, 100%. Like, like he doesn't need any of that stuff to be funny. It's a, it's a brand of humor that he has, but that's not what makes him funny. Because he is so funny in this movie. Yes. Um, the parts that you can tell that are improvised, like him singing and things like that, uh, and his reactions to everything, and the fact that he plays everything so childlike. Uh, his and, eyes glitter. And one of my favorite quick sight gags is whenever he realizes that he's a human and he's going through like all the pictures and him dunking the basketball on everybody. <laughs> and he, I think he's actually doing like a Michael Jordan face on yes. it as well. I love too uh, when he's in the shower and he splashes his face. Yeah. Anytime I pretend something's little, I'm literally recreating Will Ferrell in the shower as Buddy the Elf, like yeah. flicking water onto himself. And him sitting on Bob Newhart's lap. And then Bob Newhart's feet. Yeah. Like, ah, ah, <laughs> yeah. ah, I just, yeah. which Bob Newhart is so lovely in oh, this yeah. movie, too. He makes a great narrator, too. Yes, he does. And I love that Leon Redbone is in this movie, too, mm-hmm. um, because it just embraces Christmas. Yeah. Um, but Will Ferrell is, like you were saying, he's inherently funny. Yeah. He, his being is funny. Um, and he, what's so great about him being an improv artist and that really lives in this film is, so this script was probably written and he got it and he was able to create Buddy the Elf. So when he's looking at the escalator to go up and he doesn't know how to deal with it, what's really watch that because it's so nuanced. It's not like, oh, do I get on this? What do I... It is little things like I put my foot on it. No, take it off. Okay, you go in front of me. No, no, no. Okay, okay, it's my turn. Yeah. Here I go. And that face when he's just <laughs> sitting there <laughs> stretched across all those steps on the escalator. Yeah, and that's a gift that improv gives performers is to really live in that moment. Mm-hmm. And Will Ferrell is incredibly gifted. I would have loved to see this um, with Amy Poehler. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I would have watched this all day long if it was literally like whatever the female version of Buddy the Elf would have been. Yeah, well, because Amy Poehler, too, she does wholesome and twisted with equal strength. Agreed. And, like, she does wholesome and menacing with equal strength. Agreed. Uh, like, like, anybody who can realistically pull off Leslie Nope and who can realistically pull off the character she plays in Red Hot American Summer. Yeah. Or Wet Hot American Summer. Yes. Um, she, she, she's just, she's just great. Yeah, and I agree, and I just, so, as far as that goes, but Will Ferrell, it's, it's great. I love also, too, that he's 30, and he's so clearly not 30 years old. Yeah. In this movie, which I don't care. No. I, uh, yeah, I just love him in this movie, so, uh. I, I wish there was there were more interesting things I could say about that, but like he is perfect in this movie. He's perfect. I remember the first time I heard of this movie, it was in uh, an issue of Entertainment Weekly. Okay. And they were doing like, you know, like the winter movie preview or something like that. And they would just do pages of like short little blurbs on stuff. Uh-huh. And there was just a picture of him at his desk in the North Pole doing like the best way to, sp- to share Christmas cheer. And it's just that picture. And I'm just like, Okay, I'm seeing this movie. I love that. Um, so, a little history on this movie and a little some of the trivia stuff now. Yes, yes, yes. So, this movie was originally written in 1993, and it had been passed around for a while. Uh, originally, they wanted Jim Carrey to star in it. Oh, I could totally see that. I could see that. Jim I, Carrey's a far better Grinch, though. Right. It, it wouldn't have been as innocent, because uh, Jim Carrey, like just like Will Ferrell, put his spin on it. Jim Carrey would have put his spin on it, and it would have been it would have been really funny because it would have been ridiculous. Yeah, but it would have been closer again to like the Grinch, and I, I I'm happy with Will Ferrell being Buddy the Elf and Jim Carrey being the Grinch. Because Jim Carrey's Grinch mm-hmm. is phenomenal. Also, too, I think you know the Grinch was still. Um, or how the Grinch stole Christmas, we should say, um, is also wonderful because it's also in the hands of Ron Howard. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious if Jim, who would have directed Jim Carrey in it. Well, the, so that's another thing. Ooh, fascinating. Yeah, the original director was Terry Zweigoth. Who dead? Uh, well, to, the only thing I recognize him from is what he turned down this movie to direct. And he turned this movie down uh, to direct Bad Santa. Oh, interesting. So this would have been a totally different yeah. movie. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad that everybody who was involved at this at one point made the movies they made. I want to see Jim Carrey as the Grinch. I want to live in a still live in a world where Bad Santa exists because you know what? I'll still watch that movie. Oh my god, the movie the movie serves its purpose. Yeah, but but this movie needed to have John Favreau direct it. Yes, who understands. He really understands kids, and he makes some great children's movies. I mean, yes. his version of The Jungle Book was so good. I really liked it, too. Um, and then it needed Will Ferrell, who who just has that touch, you know? Well, and I... So I've met Will Ferrell. Uh-huh. Um, he has no clue who I am. Um, but I worked at the Zimmer Children's Museum, and um, we had a gala every year. Um, and Will Ferrell was, was our host, and he came up, and I was I was working the gala as because I was a play guide and I was a teacher at the museum, and he came up and they needed help 
getting people checked in because mm-hmm. it, it flooded in. So I took um, a stack of cards and I had some part of the alphabet, which included e, uh, E's and F's. Uh-huh. And uh, he came up to the table to me and he goes, um, hello, uh, Farrell plus one. And I, I'm, he's not only the host of our whole event, so of course I knew who he was, but it's also Will Farrell. Yeah. And he didn't come up as a joke and he didn't come up to be oddly humble, he genuinely came up, gave his name, and you know, hey, do you have my do you have my tickets? Like he genuinely came up like any of us would. So I think also too, from seeing him in a lot of interviews as well, his comedians and cars getting coffee uh-huh. is really great. Yeah. Um. So there's just this truthfulness about Will Ferrell. And where he comes from in his comedy, mm-hmm. even his videos with his daughter. Um, oh, that's Adam McKay's daughter, actually. Is that Adam McKay's yeah. daughter? Oh, I thought it was Will Ferrell's daughter. No. Uh, well, anyway. Yeah. His, just his essence of comedy is comes from a, a, a very particular place, and I just think he's well, the buddy. He's buddy. He, it's, I think one strength of him, especially like in this movie, is even though he's not like just interacting with chil- with a lot of children the whole movie, is that he understands that kids are just naturally funny being who they are. Yes. And he and he utilizes that. So like the humor in this, even though it's not adult oriented humor, he's not dumbing it down for the kids because he's like, no, the kids are gonna are gonna know that this is funny. Yes. Um uh, just talking about Will Ferrell again, one of my favorite things I've ever seen him do, and they play this in the Comedians and Cars episode, is his uh, audition for Saturday Night Live. It's so good. Where uh, it's like the guy just like having a conversation at dinner and just playing with the cat toys. <laughs> if you have if you have uh, Netflix, watch Comedians and Cars Getting Coffee. It's with Jerry Seinfeld. Um, there's a lot. And Jim Carrey's episode is really good too. Mm-hmm. Um, but Will Ferrell's, and it shows... It shows that, and it's so yeah. good. Um, so just some other uh, trivia. So like, once they got this going, uh, the script went through a rewrite with a couple of other writers. Uh, let me see if I recognize their names. Um, uh, yeah, so un- uncredited uh, rewrites from Scott Armstrong and Chris Henchy, who I don't recognize. I don't but remember. then... Uh, uh, yeah, and yeah. they might be ghostwriters and do all sorts of yeah. amazing things. But then Adam McKay and Will Ferrell also did an uncredited rewrite on it as well. That totally makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, John Favreau directed this. What did he do right before this movie? Because this was, this was like one of the... I think one of the first... Like, big things he directed, yeah? I mean, he was known for doing, uh, he was known for doing, like, I think he wrote Swingers, and he directed a movie before then, uh, but, like, he he wasn't, like, he didn't have the power that he does now. He made a movie called Made, that was his first, like, yeah, he did a couple TV movies, then he did Made, uh, which was his first theatrical, and then he did this movie, Elf. Wow. So this was this I guess was like his first like because at the time he was still just mostly known as an actor you know he'd been uh, a- acting solid for about ten years or so right so I think this is at the time of like oh yeah give give Favreau something to direct you know totally um and then after this he did Zathura uh, which was based kind of like the spiritual sequel to Jumanji okay uh, and then after that he did Iron Man and that's when he became John Favreau as we know him now that's insane um 
But uh, but yeah, so a couple of things that I found out on this just in filming it. First of all, because uh, I was wondering what the uh, cotton balls were that he was eating. Apparently that was undyed cotton candy. Yeah. Um, which I never knew before. I told you. I know, and you were right, and I'm letting the world know that you were right. <laughs> Gosh. Um, <laughs> uh, what, what else? Apparently, uh, whenever he fought the Santa. I love that scene. They did that in one take. I love that. Because they had to, because there well, was... they're n- destroying There it. was no way they could have rebuilt that, so they were like, it had to get done in one take. That's amazing. Um, apparently... Him putting like all of the uh, like candy and pop tarts and syrup on the spaghetti. Oh, it makes my skin crawl. Well, how gross I think that is. Well, apparently they had to do it twice because Will Ferrell vomited in the middle of the first take. Oh, I believe it. Uh, and he apparently had headaches the whole time from the amount of sugar that he was ingesting. Oh my God. Oh, did you happen to find what I feel like the the Coca Cola? Was so water. They didn't say anything about the Coca-Cola. What they did say something about was the burp, though. Is that that wasn't Will Ferrell. They had uh, Maurice LaMarche uh, overdub that. Which, he's uh, just a fantastic voice actor. He also, in Ed Wood, the Tim Burton movie, mm-hmm. uh, Vincent D'Onofrio played uh, Orson Welles in there. And then they had Maurice LaMarche uh, overdub the voice for it. That's amazing. Uh, he's also a lot of characters on, like, Futurama. That's cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Another thing, so the last day of filming was all the, all the inter, like, the montage stuff of Buddy first getting to New York. Oh, okay. Basically, it was... That jo- car hit kills me. It, it was John Favreau, uh, Will Ferrell, and like a really small crew that was just driving around New York, and whenever they found something that would be funny to put Buddy in doing, they would just grab extras and be like, hey, we'll pay you cash if you'll be an extra in our movie. I love that. So like, I think they literally found the old man in the red jogging suit with the beard, and they were like, oh, this would be a great gag, and they just wrote that on the spot. How fun. Yeah. My God, that's so indie. Yeah, that's so indie movie of them. Well, and and like John Favreau came from the indie movie world, so I love like it. that's when he could still get away with that, you know. Oh, I love how fun. Yeah, I my God, when Buddy eats the gum off the subway rail, I can't I, watch it. I can't. It <laughs> freaks me out, um, and I can't do that much sugar. So I don't blame Will Ferrell for. Ugh, and for well, I did a horror film and I was supposed to be like drinking wine and wine and wine, and it was soda at first that they were putting in my glass. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the day, my teeth were squeaky, I felt nauseous, I it was awful. And that was one day of doing that, so I can't yeah. fathom multiple days where you're having to be like sugar, sugar, sugar. Ugh. Well, as somebody with who shares a similar body type to Will Ferrell, I can tell you that we can handle that a little better than you can. But, but him throwing up after eating the noodles and stuff, uh-huh. I can't blame him at all. I Just watching it makes my like shoulders... You know when you get so grossed out, you feel it in the base of your neck and oh, your yeah. shoulders round forward? Oh, yeah. That's how I feel watching most of that. Mm-hmm. I can't. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Uh, I think we're kind of getting near the end of the episode. We are. Is there anything else you wanted to mention about this movie? Um, No. I mean, other than we indeed watch this movie every single year. And so... Um, I kind of feel like Christmas is here and we've been kind of in the holiday spirit at the beignet household and, uh, it really, I don't know. Now it's like, Oh, it's here. Yeah. 
So let's let's do a tag then with some other Christmas movies that we watched, and we won't go in too in depth because we don't want to turn this into the Halloween compendium episode. Yeah, woof. Uh, I mean, I I loved that, but like we're also an hour and fifteen minutes into this right now, and I don't want to have people be like, "All right, we're done." Oh wait, there's another two hours to go. Oh my god. I mean, but like I also have I I I watch scary movies all year round. I only do Christmas movies at Christmas time. There's a couple that I do throughout the year. Yeah, and um, those two for me are The Holiday uh-huh. and Bridget Jones. Yep. Bridget Jones is a Christmas movie? Yes, because it opens at Christmas and he's in a Christmas sweater and it goes to she goes makes a New Year's resolution and then it goes until the next Christmas. So it's kind of it's not really a Christmas movie, but mm-hmm. I think those two movies are all year round movies. So. Yeah. So all right then, well, uh let's just quickly name off some other Christmas movies movies that we've seen. Uh there was the Christmas Chronicles we already talked about. Yes. Um how many sleigh bells would you give that movie? give it like a three and a half i'll give it a three and a half because it's really heartwarming and it, quite delightful it is a slightly elevated hallmark movie there there is a yes. lot of cheese in that movie yes but it is also very it is very heartfelt and boy it was quite an adventure yeah it, i it, had so much fun and it knows what it is too yes I and did. like yeah you know santa claus sings a blues song in prison but it's great though yeah um, so, so yeah, there's that, um, Home Alone. Oh my God, that is, oh gosh, that's a five sleigh bell. Yeah, I'll, I'll give that, I'll probably give it four sleigh bells. Really? Uh, but for no real reason other than like, you know, we haven't watched that one in over 10 years. True, so, but we, but watching it again, um, so I was, been doing a lot of, uh, stunt previs this week and, uh, we were talking about some hard wrecks and I was with uh, two other stuntmen, and I was like, you guys, have you seen Home Alone recently? Because holy crap, those stunt guys were killing it. Well, and we talked about too, because again, we haven't seen it in over a decade at this point. Yeah. Is that once the end of the movie happens, and they like he starts setting the traps, and they're about to start breaking in. I mean, the shot where uh, the rifle, the BB gun just slowly peeps out, and you're just waiting for it to fire. Like that is Hitchcock level <laughs> tension there. It's so good. Um, but then, like we all realized, because it was Jessica, myself, and Janelle. Uh, and we all were like, "Yeah, I am like giddy with glee, waiting for this to happen." Yes, and like. Home Alone, I right now give it five sleigh bells. I'm sure I'll be like, oh no, it's really a four. But right now, mm-hmm. I'm like on the high of watching it. Yeah. I kind of want to watch the second one, but I don't want to spend the money on the second one. Totally fair. And I'd never want to see any of the other ones ever I've again. not seen any of them, so. They're not good. Um, um, let's talk about um, The Holiday. All right. How many sleigh bells would you give The Holiday? I mean, I gave it a lot of sleigh bells. I really liked that movie. Please don't tell anybody. Well, you've just told everybody. No. So how many sleigh bells? I give it like five. In case you didn't hear, Jessica is giving the movie The Holiday five sleigh bells. But Cameron Diaz is atrocious. Here's the thing is that I, I give The Holiday like four. Okay. Um, And that's probably me being a little generous because I know that objectively it's not a great movie. No. But I don't really care. No, it's, a ter- it's actually... Yeah. Kind of a terrible movie. Yeah, there are lots of moments in there where, like, I just can't really watch it. Like when Cameron Diaz gets really emotional. Do your and, do your Cameron Diaz. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know those uh, rings that you would get when you're kids and you blow in them. It's like 
<laughs> That's kind of Cameron Diaz getting emotional in the holiday. <laughs> But but then like but Kate Winslet and Jack Black yes, are sublime. I love Kate Winslet and Jack Black, and I love Eli Wallach in that movie. Oh, I love oh. Eli Wallach in this movie, and Jude Law does no wrong. Right. Um. But uh. Yeah. Cameron Diaz is really the weak ruins link. it. But no, it's no, still a great movie. Really, really, what actually sinks the movie is that it's kind of lazily written. Uh, because yes. they monologue all over the place, and the parts where they don't, and it's actual dialogue. Uh, like it actually works really well. Like, uh, like Jack Black saying, "Like, no, we're gonna make Christmas fettuccine and celebrate being alive." And now we make Christmas fettuccine every we year. We do. So, um, but, just saying. Yeah, but uh, whenever like everybody just ends up going on this like actually everybody except for Jack Black and Jude Law I think but like uh, Cameron Diaz and Kate Winslet especially they just have monologues written throughout the movie and. If they would have just made it a little more natural, it would have been fine. But, like, they're written in a way that nobody speaks. A hundred percent. However, Kate Winslet's, like, opening monologue, and it was edited with kind of some things in between. Yeah, it's voiceover, like narration. No, no, I have a totally different point to make. Okay. Um, That edited, somebody um, in my my acting school um, did that monologue for our tour. We do showcases in different cities to mm-hmm. see like where we'd like to live and if we get agents. She did that for her showcase monologue and it was brilliant. Yeah. So it's, yes, it's not lazily written in its sentiment and its words. It's lazily written as a film. Right. So I totally agree with that. But to me, I can watch that movie uh, anytime I'm, and it just makes me happy. I'm willing to forgive that movie for the flaws. Yes. Like, it's very and flaws. that also has a happy place in my heart you had bought it when you came to visit me in Chicago, uh-huh. and we watched it in the floor of my apartment in on, that little town ho- house on, on that god awful inflatable mattress that was only like an inch thick. Yes, yeah, and we drank the mold cherry wine from Travers Bay Winery, where near where I was in school. Yes, so to me that has a very this movie, and I I talk about it all the time. It is your movie going experience that kind of can transform a film. Yeah. And watching that movie will never go down for me. No. Because it has a magical place. It has, It's about Christmas. And uh, if you've ever been to Chicago for Christmas, I mean, it's lights everywhere. Everyone decorates. The Michigan Avenue looks like downtown New York. It looks like Manhattan. It's just insanely wonderful. So I will... I, that movie is very special to me. Um, okay, we, I, well, real quick, what I want to say about that yeah. is I love the fact that the one of the lead characters is a composer. Yes. Um, and I do really like the music in that movie. I do too. Isn't it beautiful? Yeah. And you know who did that one? Mm-mm. Hans Zimmer. Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, any other Christmas movies that we just want to quickly touch on that we've seen? Uh, love Actually. Where would you give Love Actually? Oh my gosh. i give it a four and a half. I'll still keep it at a four. Again, because yeah. I know all the problems in that movie, uh, but I'm willing to forgive it. Again, just because like that's a memory that you and I have together. Yes, and I just... I don't know. It re- There's some really iconic parts, like um, uh, uh, Hugh... Uh, oh, my gosh. Grant. Man, words today. Hugh Grant dancing, uh-huh. and the final... Like, all the kids doing the nativity play, uh-huh. and... and um, 
not Emma Watson, my favorite actress in the whole world, Emma Thompson, yeah. um, is just flawless in anything that she does. Mm-hmm. Another Emma Thompson film that you must see is Wit. Not a Christmas movie, Wit. Um, but she, oh, and also she's a great in Stranger Than Fiction, which is also a Will Ferrell movie. Saving Mr. Banks. Oh, which I kind of attribute as a Chris, Christmas film. Well, it's a Christmas film for us because we saw it around Christmas time. Right. But um, I love, but also it's just, this time of year I'm I'm searching for warmth and yeah. Saving Mr. Banks definitely gives me that. But um, Love Actually, I but I also love Love Actually because everyone is so human in it. Mm-hmm. Horribly human. And I know there's an article recently written about how uh, kind of one of the severe problems in it, and I'm terrified to read the article. You don't need to read the article. I read it. Um, I agree with a lot of the points made in there, and it's it's on Jezebel, I think. And you know, I, you can take Jezebel with a grain of salt because they are very like, you know, they go zero to sixty on there. It's not a whole lot of subtlety. Okay, it's written in a very funny way, I will say. Oh, okay. Uh, and she's not wrong in anything she says. I'm just like, yeah, I know, but I don't really care. Right. If this were if this were in real life, then to be like, yeah, these are these are terrible people, and I don't condone anything you're doing. But it's it's a romantic comedy, you know. Right. Um, we haven't watched them yet, but we are going to see a Christmas story with <gasps> Jessica's parents whenever we. No, my whole family. All right. So with Jessica's whole side of the family, we're going to see the Christmas a Christmas story uh, in the theaters. You guys, oh, I'm so excited! Um, Christmas Vacation is one that we haven't done yet. Yes, but we will. Yeah, that's then, definitely something we have to do with my father. My mom and dad have moose mugs. Yeah, and then it's Arthur good, Christmas. It's good. It's good. It's good. Yes, an Arthur Christmas. Yeah, we. I love Arthur Christmas. We'll start wrapping this episode up right now, but like all, I, all I will say is that Arthur Christmas is another one of those that we watch every year without fail. Yes. Um, and there's re- really no reason why we should, like, like, because you know, it's just, you know, there's nothing about it that's just like, oh, they really elevated the genre, or I can't believe they did this. Nobody else thought of it. It's, it's just a kids movie. It's, it's so a kids good. Christmas movie, but it's really good. It's got a lot of uh, little moments in there of like, you know, they talk about somewhere where it's like, you know, Arthur's so clumsy and like he flooded a whole wing of the North Pole, and then just like there's a crowd of elves, and just one elf in the background is like, I lost my house in that flood. <laughs> there's some, that something like that. It's it's just really good. So. Yes, and Anthony and Mary Delon just watch it every year too. Mm-hmm. Um, this year, I definitely want to watch It's a Wonderful Life. Mm-hmm. We don't watch that every year, and I don't know why. Well, I mean, cause you, we can only fit so many. Like, this year, we didn't even hit up as many of our Halloween movies as we always do. I know. We didn't watch The Thing this year, and that really bums me out, actually. Right. Well, uh, I really want to watch It's a Wonderful Life uh-huh. this year, um, which we are spending a lot of time with family this holiday season. Usually, we've been, uh, when I say stuck in Los Angeles, what I actually mean is we've chosen to not leave Los Angeles right. and bunker up. Um, so, but I'm very, I'm excited for this holiday season and excited for a lot of family and to be on the road and watch more Christmas movies, which we'll have to pack in our suitcase. Another one that we watched though. What? Krampus. Ooh, we Lo- love Krampus. Love Krampus. It's done by the same guy who did Trick or Treat. Yes. Uh, it's an easier movie to watch because there are like, fewer graphically dead children in it. Right. Um, it's it's a lot like Gremlins, which I love Gremlins, but like Is that it, technically a Christmas movie Grem, too? Gremlins is definitely a Christmas movie. I don't I don't watch it in, uh, like that Gremlins I didn't grow up with and Die Hard. 
Yeah, Die Hard, I, would, I say it's a Christmas movie. Apparently there's an article where they're like, we've definitively proven Die Hard is not a Christmas movie, and they're wrong. Well, they can get over it. Yeah. Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Gremlins is a Christmas movie. Krampus definitely is. And Well, Kr- yeah, it's Kr- anti-Santa. Well, Krampus is a lot like Gremlins because it is dark and it is violent, but it's still PG-13, so it's not like intense. Right. Uh, I mean, well, it, it is. It, it is. It technically has a happy ending, though. I disagree. I don't think it's a happy ending. Oh, well, it, we're not going to go into spoilers for Krampus. I will say that you can interpret the ending one of two ways. True. And I interpret it in the happier way, which is also how the filmmakers meant it. Oh, it terrifies me. Mm-hmm. The end of Krampus sends me into a spiral. It's like Jordan in the Grinch spiral. It spirals me. So how does Krampus fit in with 9-11 for you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'm ready for that. All right, so let's go on ahead and cut the head off here. But if you if you are, all I'll say is if you're in the mood for a Christmas movie that's a little different, you need to watch Krampus. Yeah, I agree. It's great. Yeah. Um, and so obviously over here at Holiday Central, we're really, um, I guess, really excited for the holidays. Yeah. Um, and if you want the recipe for the maple tea latte, send us a message on the Instas or the Facebooks. You can follow us at Date Night of the Movies on Instagram and Facebook. We would love to hear from you. We also are on Twitter, but we're terrible on yeah, it. Yeah, we'll eventually be on Twitter. Um, we just haven't done anything on it yes. yet. And we love, we've been getting wonderful messages and we just love it and we love responding to you and please, um, rate and review us, um, one, we love reading the reviews, but also it makes us better, um, and it helps guide us um, on which movies maybe you want us to see next, so please definitely leave a review, and it tis the holidays, everyone, so grab your mama's phone, grab your grandmama's phone, grab your daddy's phone, and just click on their little podcast link, or download the Stitcher app on their phone, and give a subscribe to Date Night at the Movies, and maybe they'll happen to listen to us, and maybe... Um, we'll in you know we'll inspire someone to love movies just as much as we do. That would be wonderful. Absolutely. Um, well, I guess for this episode, if you haven't seen Elf, get your booty out and go see it. Yeah, because it's also possible that a, a theater near you might play it. Yeah, they they do they do uh, screenings of this one. Uh, oh, periodically. I have no. They, of course they would. Yeah. Um, um. But I mean, like you know, if you don't have a copy of it, you can find it on iTunes. I don't remember. I don't think it's on Netflix. It might be on Hulu. Maybe I we own this one, so I never look. Yeah, but like I'm sure it's on one of the streaming apps. Otherwise, you can always rent it from like iTunes or wherever you might rent movies. Yes, and. My gosh, uh, please go see it. And I'm Buddy the Elf. What's your favorite color? <laughs> All right. Well, everybody, thanks for uh, thanks for sticking around with us for an hour and a half. Yes, because jo- anytime you hear Jordan go, well, it's going to be a short episode. Just know he's lying. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm mostly giving us an out just in case. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for everybody. Uh, thank you for thank you everybody. And I'm Jess. I'm Jordan. And see you next time. Bye bye.